The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Allons-y. I'm sorry. It's French. Well, let's go. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire universe on Shuffle with your hosts. Eric Goldbranson. Asad Heshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a mad man with a box. Well, now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. I'm your host, Eric Branson. With me, as always, my partner in the TARDIS, Mr. Asad Keski. How are you doing today, Asad? Pretty good, pretty good. It's nice to be back. Feels like it's been a while. <laughs> it does feel like it's been a little while. Um, in between, of course, we had the, the Chicago TARDIS and, and got to actually uh, spend some time face-to-face, you know, yes. not, not over the uh, internet like we do here on the podcast, but... Um, you might notice we do not have um, our regular other co-host, Matthew Kressel, with us tonight. But never fear, we do have an exciting guest uh, with us. The uh, Our boss is in the house, so the CEO <laughs> and uh, um, organizer of the Direction Point uh, Doctor Who podcast network and the host of the Doctor Who Collectors podcast and the patron saint of Doctor Who collecting in general, <laughs> Mr. Larry Van Mersbergen, is returning to the Police Box of the Junkyard podcast. Welcome, Larry. Thank you, Eric and Assad. Great to see my friends again. And I, I never consider myself a boss. I'm more of a more <laughs> no. of a guiding a guiding principle kind of thing. So it's, of course, uh, but it's just a giving lot, you a hard time. So. Oh, I know. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, I, I thought you know it. It was one of those. Um, you know, Direction Point was just one of those stupid ideas like I had back in the '80s when I thought I'd open a Doctor Who store. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Look what well, that this, uh, look what that happened. Balloons that way, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's been going very well. I, it yeah, seems like I, every week we're seeing a new podcast sign up, so that's oh, fantastic. But, more yeah. podcasts are joining. More people are looking into us. I mean, we we've got you know we just got a new sign up the other day, and um, it's it's just uh it, it's overwhelming, but it's also just kind of reassuring. You know, it's kind of reassuring me that the idea was correct and that there is a need for support. Um, in the podcast world and, and, the, and, you know, we're not part of some national conglomerate that has to meet a deadline or, or, or fill advertising spaces. I feel it's just more like, you know, we need to help the folks out there who are fans of the show, promote the show in any way they can. And I do notice that, you know, uh, us podcasters tend to be also listeners of our fellow podcasts. So, yeah. so if there is anyone listening to this show that happens to be a podcaster and hasn't heard of Direction Point, how how do they get a get a hold of you, Larry? Well, uh, easy thing to do: just go to directionpoint.org and uh, click join. And uh, there is no cost, there is no obligation, and there is no catch. That's the number one question I get is, what's the catch? I'm like, there's no (laughs) catch. The only thing we ask is that you create a 30-second trailer for our partner podcast so that their audience can become your audience. And that usually closes the deal. So it's a real easy thing to do. Um, and uh, there's, like I said, just just fill out the form. We just need your feed, your 
email and all that. And we add you to our website. We'll put you on our Facebook group and we'll do everything we can to make you successful. And, and at some uh, point people have to say contact has been made, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, we are we are in that year, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is a uh, it, it is it's been a great experience being part of the network, and I'm I'm grateful to you for putting it together and inviting our podcast to be one of, one of the originals. Founding <laughs> yeah. founding so, members, absolutely. Uh, uh, and and everybody, from what I've heard, everybody's audience has seen growth. So that's uh, you know I know uh, Tony says his. Listeners uh, went up. He hosts the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. The mm-hmm. um, the Time Streams podcast is getting more more uh, more steam. So it's definitely helping. Traveling the Vortex, which is already a popular podcast, has yeah. actually got more I popular. Fa- I, I was a fan of that podcast before they before they joined years before. I mean, ten years yeah, or the, so. Um, I've been listening to them. So at the new year, the Feedspot Top 90 Doctor Who podcasts were released for t- 2022, and Traveling the Vortex was number four. Wow. wow. Um, yeah. Of course, number one, we you know we know who that is. Um, <laughs> yes. But I was number 38. So Very cool. I was, I was not aware of that. Congratulations pretty, on that. Thank yeah. you. That was a surprise nice. to me, too. I thought, wow, I've got enough listeners to reach 38. That's wonderful. That's <laughs> I fantastic. Was so, I, I, we've certainly seen seen growth as well. So yeah, I think it's a, anybody out there who who is listening, who is podcasting, or even thinking of starting a Doctor Who podcast, definitely look it up. So um, yeah, please do. So, yeah, and we're here to help you. That's what we're all about. So uh, how was everybody's holiday season? I know you're showing off, and, and the listeners can't necessarily see Larry's uh, sweatshirt, but he's showing off his <laughs> new Doctor Who swag there. Did uh, anybody else get anything? Doctor Huey for, for for the holidays. Pick up any new swag. Oh gosh, lots of Doctor Who stuff for the. It's it's uh, every 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 year. Um, uh, December, I do the one podcast that I get a little bit of help from Amazon for, and they give me the uh, the the gift guide for Doctor Who fans. So yeah, it's cool. it's always fun when people listen to that, and of course my family, of course Chip, you know, kind of went in on that and decided to. You know, get me a few things that I that they know I didn't have. So the the sweatshirt with the Jodie Whittaker logo is is really nice. Uh, I've got a couple of I've got a book too that came in uh, trading uh, trading futures. Oh yeah, yeah. From the uh, era, it's in nice shape. So it's it's always nice when people are looking out for you and um yeah. and or people ask me to look out for things like I know uh, Tony Witt is is after a vinyl copy of Spare Parts. Mm. which is very hard to find very expensive i think if you do as well right yeah (laughs) the last one uh, it was over a thousand dollars so um i've got a few people who are looking out for those that are friends of mine over in the uk that won't gouge me for them if they find it so it's it's um yeah it's it's a great it's kind of Right, right now, Doctor Who collecting is a is a very shaky world because uh, some people thought because of inflation they could raise prices on something that has mm. nothing to do with the economy. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's its own little micro economy, yes. honestly, like things like that. So. Oh, absolutely. But, and uh, I, I can actually give you a preview of the next most outrageous offer. Uh, it was uh, a copy. Speaking of vinyl, the uh, Evil of the Daleks four vinyl Scarrow Swirl LP box set. Uh, someone is selling it for one thousand seventy nine dollars. You can still get it new on Amazon for one hundred and twenty. Wow. 
It's so, a little bit of a markup there. That's uh, so, bad research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's why we that's why we educate. It's, that's <laughs> a, that's got to be somebody who's like you know significant other was like you got to get rid of all of this crap in the apartment or whatever, and they went okay, I'll sell it. I'll sell it. <laughs> and they're like, but trust it me, sell. trust me, it's 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 for sale. No, nobody's <laughs> buying it. I can't do anything about well, it. No. And, and <laughs> well, and last year it it really took the cake when a copy of Planet of the Daleks in hardcover, a new copy, basically a new copy with a light tear in the dust jacket no library marks twenty six hundred dollars and that's the sold price so wow. that kind of threw a monkey wrench into the entire works of hardcover pricing because based on that a non-library version is now going for a thousand dollars so um and that's uh, and people that are looking for that book are like forget it i'm not paying that kind of money for it and i said you right. shouldn't um, right but um that's that's the kind of thing that happens it takes one person who pays the money that changes the entire market so we try to yeah. tell people, don't buy it. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't, don't don't throw your money away. Don't do that. Well, yeah, don't give, give them the satisfaction of getting that thousand dollars for that either. So <laughs> I know it's just it's and it it kind of I get I get those um, for outrageous offers. I get about twenty emails a week on those, and I go through them all and I check them out. Some of them don't go anywhere. Some of them are like, oh my gosh, really? Or some of them aren't really that outrageous, depending on the item they're looking at. But I got to yeah. be able to find I got to be able to find the item for a lot cheaper or new or somewhere else to kind of go, yeah, that's a difference. So basically a thousand dollars versus a hundred dollars is definitely a little outrageous, but uh, that's, that's the doctor who collecting market. It's just a, it's a, it's feast or famine. Uh, yeah. And so it'll stabilize quick, eventually. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Real quick before we dive into talking about the collectible that we're here to talk about yes. today. Um, <laughs> We uh, it recently have gotten a teaser trailer for we were talking a little bit about this before we hit record today, but we've gotten to see a teaser trailer for the new 60th anniversary specials with an S. We're not sure. I don't think how, of how many that's going to be or how long the series is, yeah. but uh, starring David Tennant as the fourth doctor and bringing back Donna Noble and such. Did you I assume I assume you guys checked it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any, yes. have any thoughts about uh, that or are we excited enough yet? So. <laughs> I I'm very excited because uh, for one thing I have a, I have a I have a I have a friend who's actually a very close friend of Neil Patrick Harris, and I was curious when I talked to him I said Hey did you talk to your buddy Neil He's like He's not talking, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh, that that's uh, it's and I've, and of course after that trailer hit I read. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes I go to the Reddit rabbit hole and, oh, yeah. um, oh, and there were so many theories about what is happening or what's not happening, that David Tennant is not the 14th doctor, that this is a, uh, a manipulation of the regeneration done by an outside entity that we think is the celestial toy maker. Um, mm. and that the fact that if Donna remembers who he is, then you know, it'll right. kill her, all that stuff. So it's it's really quite uh, I, th I tell you what, they gave you just enough information to make you think about 9000 other possibilities. But I, oh, yeah, I think it's going to be a great story. And I think it's going to be a great way to get us into the next era, because Power of the Doctor was amazing. This next story, I think, is going to be topping that. And then, of course, with Chewie Gatwa coming at the end going, somebody tell me what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Asad, did you ever have any thoughts about it or have a chance to see it? Yeah, saw it. Um, I enjoyed it. You know, it's uh, 
yeah, I'm also curious to see how they'll get over that whole uh, Donna brain melty uh, thingy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, I guess it's the f- does uh, confirm that they're uh, adapting the comic story, the Star Beast. Yeah, and, uh, that was a big yeah. surprise to me. A pleasant <laughs> surprise, but yeah. yeah. It's it's and, nice uh, yeah. to it's nice to see they're going to incorporate more of the Doctor Who world yeah, uh, yeah. than just you know the comics and you know there there been there's been rumors of of bringing Bernice Summerfield to life because uh, Lisa Bowerman has been uh, talking kind of cryptically about that so Ooh. <laughs> that would be something uh, that, and that's very would, exciting as well they did <laughs> reference <laughs> the Big Finish companions and uh, yeah. Like yeah, the doctor, so it's semi-canon at least. <laughs> yeah, and that's already been done too. The uh, you know eighth doctor mentioned all of his big finish right. characters before his regeneration. Yeah. So I, right. I, I'm glad that's... that is part of the world, and uh, it's 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 going to be an exciting year for Doctor Who, I think. Yeah, I I, I found it to be a really. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, I think the only it was interesting to see that it looked like there was a unit uh, soldier in a Sikh uh, turban. Which is mm-hmm. an interesting thing to see. So. Diversity. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they uh, they did a very good job of it being, you know, it's about what forty-five seconds of actual footage in it, yeah. and it's uh, it succeeds in you know, giving me a hundred question marks, which is great. It's a good teaser in that way. So good way to get excited about it. But yeah, the beep the meep the the Star Beast story that that showing up, I was very pleasantly surprised that that's going to be part of it and it also leads me to believe that we're going to get you know i knew it was going to be a multi-episode mini series right but it sounds like we're probably going to get three or four distinct stories maybe probably with a through line of some sort because that i can't mm-hmm. see how the the star beast thing is tied into donna that that's probably its own story that they're going to do you know there and uh i think it Russell Davies writing style, I think, is kind of perfect for that story or an adaptation of that. And it'll be fun. So, yeah, be, looking be, very yeah. much looking forward to it. Be prepared for a 60th year that's going to be full of surprises because yeah. we keep getting like, for instance, the um, colorization and animation of more stories. Yeah, uh, I just read about that. Was yeah, announced, yeah, I also just read about that. And, yeah. and that that's actually come out to controversial reviews, too. A lot of people don't want mm-hmm. the colorization of the old episodes they like the black and white but they're gonna do um there there's more things uh coming out in print there's more big finish even got real silent about what they're up to uh, so oh, yeah. i guarantee you they got their hands in it too so <laughs> oh every everybody who's in doctor who um because you know uh, last time i talked to gene smith at alien entertainment he said that some of the some of the things he ordered got put on hold indefinitely because there's been a print stoppage on some things and he's also having trouble getting hold of doctor who magazine right now so that's mm. you know they're they're selling out in the uk so wow. it's, it's yeah really... i know that david Tennant cover sold out everywhere like it was hard people couldn't get a copy of it i'm not sure we're ever going to get it here unfortunately but <laughs> um you, like... <laughs> I, you can uh because the who shop in the uk still hasn't gotten their initial thing yet and they're still selling them for cover price so, oh, okay. Yeah, I so mean, I could, you, I could mail order it. I'm, I'm more mean yeah. like I, I can't walk it. You, you do my usual walk into Barnes nope. and Noble. It's not going to be there. So <laughs> it won't be here. No. Yeah. You, you won't get it here. It's, uh, it's not. Uh, that's not going to happen. But <laughs> yeah, I should probably just bite the bullet and make my order and get one of those because that's, uh, 
that's the easiest way to do it nowadays because that you'll guarantee that you'll get it and if you play if you place a pre-order well that they will fulfill them yeah and i ordered one through who shop not too long ago the one that came with the new stargate or target target storybook um yeah what was it called that that came free with the issue yeah and i wanted to get my hands on that but the i couldn't find it in the u.s so i got an order in and and it got the book so yeah well those okay. those so. weren't sold here in the united states so that's yeah. why yeah <laughs> yeah yep. we uh we 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 always get the short end of the stick here in this country that's been the case since the 80s yeah so. yeah they were selling the issue not not in a bag not with not the book well, not with yeah. the book yeah. Right. So, <laughs> yeah yep anyway such is life being a u.s fan that's the way it goes but true <laughs> Yeah, decided um, to upgrade my Blu-rays by getting the British editions of the uh, season collections. Uh, the, uh, I have thought of doing ones. that. They're so Those were, but eighteen and nineteen. Uh, well, eighteen can be had for like maybe two hundred dollars now. And yeah. yeah, they're all sold out. Officially. Nineteen is like I guess not available at all. <laughs> well, e- even the Region Two DVDs now have started, or um, sorry, the Brit- UK ones uh, have started to be uh released in the more dumb dumbed down is maybe not the yeah, right word yeah, but like right. the, the simpler versions like we yeah. got yeah and the, yeah. those initial like deluxe packages are gone yeah <laughs> so, yeah yes so, no, just uh, too bad I guess and just have to make note to pre-order them whenever any times that they come up when they're yeah. when they're announced yes <laughs> find a find a play like amazon uk go yeah. on there yeah. pre- no, pre-order it pre-order. you'll definitely you'll definitely get one yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, and I started with the the U.S. sets, and I'm a little underwhelmed with the fact they keep changing the packaging, and they keep it's just like yeah. I mean, the yeah. quality of the, the material is still good, but it's right. just yeah. It's the packaging has been the U.S. packaging has been a problem since 1984. So, yeah. <laughs> even the original DVD releases, the yes. U.K. ones had much nicer liner notes and all sorts of little little mm-hmm. things in the packaging. Big collectors tins and the like and all that great stuff and then here it box. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I got the cardboard trial of Time Lord VHS that's not in a tin, so. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 30, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time Ram, putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. The vervoids are probably the best dirty joke in Doctor Who. They're hermaphroditic plants. A lot of plants are. So there you go. That's it's based on science. No, they'll ship anything. There are probably eleven and handle shippers out there. You just have to drill a hole where his mouth is, and you're all set. You know he needs the room. I've seen it in pictures. I'm not saying you're not a fan. I'm saying you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Doctor Who gives a a drunken Doctor Who podcast for the end times. I dive into talking about uh, the the collectible book that we we're going to talk about this evening. This is a first for the show. We've not covered one of these, and because we we select everything that we talk about 
totally at random. Uh, we get some oddballs sometimes yeah. and, uh, that uh, you wouldn't think of a, a maybe a criticism podcast doing uh, one of these books. But we're going to talk about the 1977 <laughs> Doctor Who annual tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and the annuals were were and are a yearly series of books that are a collection of Doctor Who uh, short stories, uh, comic strips, puzzles, games. Um, they have kind of a, a, at least at least in the ones that I have read, and I imagine this is true throughout the run, kind of are aimed at kids. They're kind of a kid's book line. Um, so that you, just your expectations if you're picking up one of those, that that's kind <laughs> of what in the, the realm that you're, sit, you're, you're in. Mm-hmm. So um, but yeah, I, I've read a couple of the annuals. I, I own three or four of them. I say I've read a couple because I think I own a couple I haven't read as well. But, <laughs> um, but most of them have been modern. So this is the first classic annual that I've picked up. Um, I've I've looked at them many times. Even at Chicago TARDIS, I know uh, Alien Entertainment's had a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, and I've thought about picking them up. And I, I never do right away. And then they're always gone. But yeah, <laughs> he, he's got plenty so, more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so maybe Larry, I'd love to ask you a couple of questions about the the history yeah. of these books and kind of the origin of what they were, where they came from, and kind of why why a, a Doctor Who yearbook like that. Well, and and to be honest, it wasn't just Doctor Who. Um, World distributors uh, started well. The Doctor Who ones, of course, began in 1965, and they came out yearly every year except for 1972. Uh, they skipped and then they went on until 1986. That was the last one until another company, BBC, took it over much later. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't just Doctor Who. All the television shows of the time that especially were aimed at kids. So, for instance, you could get a Woody Woodpecker annual or a Tom and Jerry annual or a Z Cars or Thunderbirds or Wurzel. I've got a Wurzel Gummage annual on my shelf with John (laughs) Pertwee on the cover. Um, And there was a Man from Uncle or Star Trek. The Star Trek annuals actually are very hard to find. But they all came out from World Distributors, which had an exclusive deal with the BBC TV. Because that uh, one thing about your listeners can't see it, but the bottom corner, it'll have the BBC TV logo on all the Mm. books. And um, I should have pulled down some of the non-Doctor Who ones just to kind of give you an example. But anyway, they they came out every year. They were usually about um, a couple of pounds. This was like a pound 95, I think, back in the day. Uh, Pound 25, excuse me. Uh, That's the other thing about the book is that usually um, when they when it goes to resale, this this little corner is clipped. And so if you ever see a book that says not price clipped, that means that the price is still on there. Uh, some books that that square is gone. They've cut it off. And yeah, they've updated the price. Uh, so yeah, that, I have a, a you have one that's price clip clip clipped yes, off right there. there you yep. go. Yeah, yeah, that means it's so. price clipped. So that that actually goes into the the value of the book. Um, the Doctor Who annuals uh, all were extremely popular with kids. The first annual they think they pr- published maybe fifty to a hundred thousand of those because those are still very common and easy to find. But then the ones after that were kind of slower. The John Pertwee Pink Annual had a low print run, so that's why that one's really hard to find. Uh, and then they skipped a year. And But the Tom Baker Annuals all had at least a 50,000 print run or more. And in 1977, um, they actually measure larger than the previous year, which would be 76. And so if you put the books together, 
there's a significant overlap. <laughs> Does and the then, same thing as those Blu-ray sets when it's yeah, sitting on your shelf. And then, <laughs> and then the next year, the 78 annual, they went back to the original. Ah. Uh, so this was a, a one-off. And apparently, according to the research I did, all 1977 annuals were this extra large size. And there was no explanation for it. But a year later, went back to the original size. So, yeah. uh, of course, that, you know, for collectors, that means they got to get a different size bag for this guy because it doesn't fit in a magazine bag. Um, but they were uh, they were a staple until about the mid 80s. And that's when world distributors um, went bankrupt. Uh, I guess their equivalency of bankrupt in England. Uh, they lost their license and no further annuals were done in any format. But you could find uh, if you went online and looked for TV annuals, you could find annuals from almost every TV show that was on during the 60s and 70s. And it was a very popular thing to do with kids. Usually it included a game, a crossword puzzle, some comic strips, some little stories, uh, some color boards or things like that. And and sometimes those became even bigger markets like the, uh, you know, the Dalek book that came out in which was pre-annual. Um, mm-hmm. the, the game in the middle, Dodge the Daleks, became a board game. Yeah. Much later. So there was there was that. Uh, I can remember. Dr. Yeah. Growing up, um, Marvel Comics doing annual issues so similar, like just yeah. basically reprinting or collecting a group of, of stories. Uh, usually yeah. there was some like a couple of classic like it like let's say you bought the Spider-Man annual. You get a couple of classic Spider-Man yeah. stories. You probably get something new. You get a couple of like little humor bits. You might get a crossword or some gamey pages or something like that. And so it's a similar see, idea, I think, just kind of a see if big, I can grab one real well quick bound. Here. Right here. Yeah. So. Yeah. so. So, yeah, just just an example of um, another television show. This is the the Wurzel Gummage annual. <laughs> so um, same same thing has the uh, author, authorized edition. It's by, you know, the same company uh, does the same thing, has a bunch of comic strips and stories and color boards. And these sold for about the same price. Well, this was a little higher because it came out later, two and a quarter. But mm-hmm. um yeah, those were and back in uh, and when I was younger, back uh, when I was looking for stuff in Chicago, Larry's comic book store in Chicago, he had annuals from all kinds of TV shows. And he would have the man from uncle and the Star Trek ones on the wall <laughs> behind him and asking for, you know, he had the Troughton ones in a case. Uh, so it was kind of, you know, very, very, um, you know, very collectible to, to television audiences. And for Doctor Who, now this particular one, the 77 annual, uh, you can get a new copy of this annual for under $30. Yeah, mine so, was very inexpensive. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not, not a pricey one. Mine's in only good condition. It's not It's not like collectible or mint, but right. uh, which was good, great for me because I intended on reading it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and you can get it. You could snag a reading copy for two or three dollars. Yeah. Um, probably with a little bit of shipping, but uh, it's just there. There yeah, are so I many. Paid eight bucks plus some shipping for this yeah, one. That's, so, that, yeah, that's that's about right. If Not you pay more than all. pay more than thirty, you're paying too much money because you can get it for less. And there are tons out there. I mean, this morning I did a search between eBay and eBay's <laughs> books, about 150 copies for sale. Wow. So, so listeners out there, if you want your own copy of the 1977 annual, you can go any of those places, not spend a lot of money and get one of your own. Um, yeah. And they're, they're very easy to find. In fact, all the Tom Baker annuals uh, are pretty easy to find these days. They're, 
they were printed in in because of his popularity they printed 50,000 100,000 impossible to know the exact print runs because that company is defunct right. and there is no information uh anywhere about that um but uh there was also a really nice guide online by Paul Schoons uh who's a, a the New Zealand uh Doctor Who uh fan yeah, I rec- recognize the name yeah yeah he did novelizations uh, he did Shada he did uh uh some oh, other right. state yeah, unofficial, yeah. Gate, unofficial. And Eric did, books, yeah. yeah he did a lot of that stuff in fact i think tony had him on i think after he did uh they reviewed his version of one of the books um mm-hmm. as opposed to the official target because it wasn't as good um but uh <laughs> he does a complete annual guide where he does you know what the who did the cover art like paul crompton uh did the artwork for this book okay and i I was going to kind of, I had some questions kind of mm-hmm. about that. Um, Asad, I wanted to let you answer real, real sure. quickly um, what your history with the annuals. Have, is this uh, something you've read in the past or was this kind of a first dive into this series? I had read one annual in the past. I think it was 1974, the one. And okay. uh, yeah, I didn't really look for any more after that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's like the Star Trek annuals that these um, world distributors did are probably they did, had an easier time of it since they basically just reproduced two uh, old key stories in each one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which were entertaining. Um, yeah, and then yeah. throw in the their usual puzzles and trivia bits in between. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's I, my experience. And I guess there's one year, one per two year that there was no annual, right? Because correct. then they Thanks. recently put one out as a sort. Yeah, of. that's an interesting thing too, because uh, Terraquius Publications. Uh, issued the 19, I have it on the shelf. Actually, if I lean over here, those are all annuals right here. Um, <laughs> and um, I have the 1972 unofficial annual. Uh, Katie Manning signed it because uh, she did the foreword on it. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a great project because it's it's uh, it's officially unofficial. So right. they have Doctor Who writers like Fraser Hines contributed to it and other people in the Doctor Who world actually did the artwork and all that because they thought it was a great idea and the, the uh, they make no money on it. So that's why it's kind of, you know, it's it's looked at as a, well, we're not going to bother with it because it's they exactly cover when you buy it, when they release it and they buy it from Lulu, I guess it covers the exact cost of printing. Okay. There, there's no profit built into it. And they've done a few. They did a master annual. They did uh, nine, they just did a 1986 annual. Uh, they did an 88 annual. Actually, my name's in the 88 annual. So I've got a couple of those. Um, cool. So that was kind of nice. Uh, but uh, it's a great thing. They're trying to fill the gaps in between 86 and uh, I think 2004, 2000, 2005, I guess, would have been the first um, new annual that they did with uh, Christopher Eccleston. And now they're still doing them as they go forward. But they're, the ones today are nowhere near uh, what they did in the 60s and 70s. Uh, as far yeah. as the designs, the the ideas, what was in them, and it was a completely different production crew, a different um, different set of people, different artists, because uh, the usual people that we that we recognize with artwork like Chris Achilles and uh, Andrew right. Skilliner had nothing to do with the annuals. Right. Right. Yeah. So, it, it it feels like it's a good segue kind of into starting to talk about the specific book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have another a couple general questions and. And I think that's an interesting point that segues because that's one of the things I picked up on right away with this and with some of the other annuals that I that I have read. And that is that it feels like it's kind of a separate 
production unit. And that, and I, I guess I, I don't want to jump into right away, right out of the gate, criticizing the work in them. Um, but it does kind of feel like a group of writers that might not have been incredibly familiar with the subject they were writing about. <laughs> or, <laughs> like they were kind or, of given the yeah. premise of the and just or, or like artists you know. that have never seen the show. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they'll have they'll have drawings of Harry and Sarah that don't look anything like the right. actors. No, yeah, they got um, the Tom Baker look. Oh yeah, of. yeah. They get but a, like yeah, the Harry and Sarahs are certainly not based on Elizabeth Sladen and um. And I was definitely yeah, wondering Martyr, if they so. just didn't have the rights to the likenesses when they did these things. Well, yeah, that's the only thing that makes any sense. <laughs> because this well, was not you, you this took, was not their first season. Like my first thought is like, oh, maybe yeah. this was the first year, and then I'm like, no, it's not. You know, there's a few they've been on already. So Harry's actually left us already at this point. So yeah, the uh, yeah. earlier annuals had uh, photo covers. So they just used a photograph, and then, uh, and then after that, they started like in '78. They did more artist artist work on that. So it depended on, yeah, you know, each each annual, and for the most part, uh, the '60s annuals all the way up to I think the '70, uh, the last uh, the the Pertwee annual. I think the pink Pertwee annual was all done by one artist. That was Walt Honarth. Um, okay. And yeah. drew because I've got a print by him for this the Troughton annual. Uh, his uh, his kids run a group on Facebook promoting his art. By the way, it's a really cool uh, thing because Walt passed away some years ago, and all the original plates for those annuals are missing. So no, somebody, no. Yeah. it's like like some of Skilleter's original paintings have gone missing. So they're they're out they're yeah. out there somewhere. But um, that's uh, and that's one thing so, when I when I do my interview with Tasha Achilleos, my big question will be, will he, will the shop reopen? Because right now we it's closed, and right. it's been it's been closed for a year, and so, uh, so I'm curious about this annual, and and certainly maybe about the other you know Tom Baker era annuals. Is there's mm-hmm. no author names on anything here? Like, do do you no. have any idea who it was that wrote the, the fiction for these or the comic strips for these? Well, I'm was I'm it? I've got the Schoons uh, thing up here, I think, or I did anyway. Yeah, I kind of did a couple of Googles to see yeah. if there was a guide out there. I, I did not come across the Paul Schoons one. I, I was looking for something like that, and uh, so I'll have to check that out. But unfortunately, it doesn't help me <laughs> right at the moment. Yeah, he's got uh, – let's see if I can find the right uh, thing. I just had it. And, 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 and Here we go. Not, you know, just, just out of curiosity, really, more than anything than needing specific names. I just was wondering if that was the norm for, for these. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, it kind of seems like somebody, like, style wise, like somebody, because there's not a lot. It's pretty, it's pretty basic. And somebody, maybe this was one writer that just kind of like got the gig and, <laughs> you know, yeah, did just the ref- limited amount of research you needed to do and re- banged yeah, it out. Just like, <laughs> refreshing my notes a bit. Yeah. There, uh, these were written by teams. Of okay. of yeah. people that were assigned to you know as part of their job here I need you to write this I need you to do this design this and that so no authors are credited in in any of the books you know even if you if you looked at the first page um, there is nothing there just the uh, you know yeah. the address of the company the copyright date and that's it and yep. no one is credited including the cover artist uh, his signature is not on any of the artwork. Yeah, um, and that's the biggest pity to me. The um, the stories are kind of, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute as we get to kind of talking about them individually. Is is, mm-hmm. um, but the stories are I could kind of take or leave, but the artwork in this, although not always 
great. It's certainly interesting. Like there is a lot of interesting artwork in this book and to have, you know, totally uncredited is kind of bizarre to me. (laughs) But um, I think at a time, maybe like uh, even the other places where there were Doctor Who comics, like uh, TV comic and TV action, I don't know if they had credits at that time either. I don't know if that was like the standard in uh, British uh, publishing at the time or. Well, at least with the annuals, there were no um, uh, there were no credited um, authors Uh, and the artwork uh, people actually in the recent past, because people have been trying to write, have actually said, hell yeah, hey, that was me that did the uh, artwork. So they're adding their name. uh, And, uh, you know, and so that that was something that we're still trying to figure out. And no one is, you know. As far as we know, some of these early stories, they may not be around anymore. And um, but that was something that always caught my attention when I started buying because I started buying these annuals back in the 80s. And I've actually had this 77 annual since 1986. This was at Larry's comic book store. Uh, It's in new condition. uh, And I paid five dollars and ninety nine cents for it because that was the price that he had. Stuck on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, it was. Um, and I thought, well, I just, you know, cause I was just collecting Dr. Who. I didn't even bother. I hadn't even opened it. So I never read yeah. it. Um, but I read it today. I, I had a download, uh, that, you know, Eric, uh, had sent earlier and I thought, wow, you know, this is actually, you know, there's some really interesting stuff here. And, uh, the, you know, as far as the, the, the stories, you know, I sorry, I'll give you my quick take on those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, they're kind of, eh, but they're uh, mainly forgettable. But <laughs> but I also like the fact that these all the annuals also include and from the ones I've seen just over the years also include little bits of education. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, they'll include bits of science or bits of uh, historical facts or, you know, these people are important in this type of thing. And, you know, there's there's a big thing about blimps and and uh, airships in here and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So it's about space exploration and aviation. And there's a lot of like cool little science bits on that. And um, yeah, and I feel like it it was good, like good for like the the, the target audience. I think good little educational bits that kind of tie in a little bit tangentially to what the subject matter is. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, usually sometimes a crossword puzzle will be in there or some other type of fill in the blank type of uh, thing. Because uh, something that you know collectors look at is that has, has the crossword been done? <laughs> oh, well, that's uh, that's gonna right. that's gonna be less. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have a couple of. Uh, they didn't finish it. They started yeah. though. On the, or <laughs> so. did they do it in pencil? It's too tough for them. I think it is in pencil. It could if, be removed. Then you can erase the you can erase it very yeah. carefully. Um, but uh, unfortunately, yours is price clipped, Eric. So they, there's nothing I can do there. It is. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's also it's got some scuffs and bends and tears here and there. It's it's definitely a reading a reading copy. So, yeah. And, and like I said, if that's, you know, um, and, and like I like I tell people in my own podcast, you know, if you buy if you're buying something just for the collecting value, that's great. But if you want to enjoy it too, go right ahead. Right. You know, that's, yeah. that's that's important to know. But uh, uh, if uh, if you need more explanation on that, there's a Big Bang Theory episode uh, where they talk about mint in the box. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to play with it. <laughs> and they yeah have, for for me as a collector yeah. and i love collecting stuff i like to have it all i'm a completionist and i'm you know all that stuff but yeah. i also love to you know use it i love to read the stuff and i watch them you know watch it and read it and you know 
I, yeah, I'm I careful. I'm careful and, and respectful of it, but oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. I still. I mean, I'm, I don't I like take it out of the box immediately. I, I, I right. have my right. program. I have my program guide that I bought new, and it's been thoroughly leafed through. Oh I, yeah. It's, it's a reference book, and uh, it's not you know along with uh, my red my copy of Red Right and Who, which is always at arm's reach because I mm-hmm. you know I may need to refer to that, and in fact that we. <laughs> You know, I did at Chicago TARDIS. I had it with me, and Stephen Warren Absolutely. Hill had to go through it to find some information. So I thought, okay, you know, that's an important. Love that when the writer has to check, like, oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I I got to look that up too because it's a it's a pretty big book. So I will. It I'll is. Give them that. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's definitely uh, you know, I think as if I were if I were a kid growing up in the UK and the new annual had come out, and of course this book was published in 1976. The uh, the annual year and the public year is always off by one year so so Mm. the 64 the 65 annual was done in 64 so that's when you know we kind of go back a year so that's why uh there's no 72 annual for instance because the 70 annual was done so so late in 69 that by the time it came out it was already time to do the next year so they thought yeah we're not going to rush and do one we'll just skip that year and go to the next one but uh, I always thought, you know, that uh, Katie Manning got robbed of an, an annual. So that was uh, she was excited when the 72 one came out. Sure. Finally. finally made things right. And made it right. <laughs> but, but that's that's uh, that's how it goes. And Doctor Doctor Who annuals as a whole are still a very highly collectible bunch of books. And people still look and scour for the perfect copy of each one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good luck because you know the the pink pert we won. Actually, we found out that the pink pert we won had a reprint done. Ah. Somebody, did, somebody did a reprint, uh, not an official reprint, but a few of those are floating out there as original. <laughs> and I remember because I took my copy over to Gene, and he goes, "Okay, you got a good one, <laughs> you got a real one." But there are a few out there that he spotted that were that were counterfeit Some bootlegs uh, out there. Same, so. same thing yeah. with the first annual. Somebody reprinted the first annual as well. And that's why there's a ton of those out there, and some of them are in mint condition. So it's <laughs> it's really quite you know if you're if you're looking for something that's actual, it, it's going to have a few marks on it because a kid bought it. It's a, they're it's, a cool collection because they're big, large hardcover books with cool yeah. artwork for the most part. They're, and uh, they're amazing, they're awesome, and I I love I I do have a full run of annuals. That's yeah. that's something I that's the only thing I have a full run of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I. I try to, you know, that that was an easy one to do because I, I was able to find those. I've got a couple duplicates here and there, but um, finding all the Doctor Who annuals was an easy, easy task. And still, it still is. I think, think you could still, if you started today, you could still get a full set. Uh, there's a couple you might not be able to get. There was a um, there was a Hartnell annual that came out, a completely unofficial one, but not Terraquius about a year or two ago. I don't know if mm. you know what I'm talking about. It had a gold cover. And that one has... yeah. That, got it got shut down by lulu because they were completely uh illegal okay <laughs> but, but yeah. i was like i couldn't remember um I'm, i was trying to remember if i ordered one but then it showed up in the mail so like oh yeah good <laughs> I, <laughs> it did. I got one. <laughs> got it in the nick of time so completionist well, yeah, I, uh, I know you got to run, Larry. So yeah. thank you very much for joining us yeah. and giving oh, us some background. And, on the uh, I look forward to listening and... to the episode. And uh, you, you folks have a great rest of your uh, show. And I'm glad to Absolutely. contribute my little part to it. Yeah, yeah, thank you for for all that you do and for running the network and all that great stuff. And uh, thanks most of all for taking time and enlightening us here. On the... 
Always Anytime. The junkyard, so. It's what I, it's what yeah. I love to do. I sometimes you just got to go in the junkyard and unload your junk, right? That's right. <laughs> All right. Thank you, fellas. Yep. Have a good night. I think we'll we'll jump in and uh, do the review portion of the episode here, which is uh, I think we'll <laughs> spend just a couple minutes on on each of these because wow, we we mentioned earlier that the fiction is the short fiction and and the comic strips here are are interesting in the in the way that they don't really feel like this era of the show and and no, even what this really. era of the show is is kind of questionable um i refer to doctor who the the complete adventures website for most of my continuity uh, he's he's created a very uh convincing um document of, of the continuity of the entire show um he puts these stories uh, from the 1977 annual of happening somewhere mid season 13. So he places them in between the Android invasion and the brain of Morbius. My question is like Harry Sullivan's kind of not yeah. really a thing. He's not really a character on the show anymore. He's kind of had his exit already. Yeah, uh, seems well, an so explaining the, the, the presence of Harry in many of these stories I don't know, but it, to me, as as disconnected as these stories feel, it's as good a place as any. So, like, yeah. I guess, I guess let's let's have them there. I I would be curious to see what his 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 um thoughts were on why why they belong there. But uh, yeah. they're I don't uh, know. If, what's what's the other one? Is it a history that also sort of puts everything into? Yeah, and sequence? I I looked I don't up know some if of they these included it in, in a history, and I don't think these stories were included. Um, I didn't have enough time to really dig in, but I, I indexed a few of the titles and and didn't see any reference to them. So I might have had to draw uh, the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and I know that uh, hearing um, Lars Pearson talk about it a couple of times at, at, at TARDIS, they did say that there are some lines they had to draw and finally just be like, okay, enough. <laughs> like we're so, and I don't know what. Whether they every time he says that though, then then they announce like, oh, there's a new edition coming with two thousand more entries or something. So <laughs> next time it's gonna you're gonna have to like fill the trunk of your car to get the book home. But uh, so it's but yeah, no, I I I, I love the those I have to say those books now because the newest editions in three volumes instead of just the giant one that it was at first. But um, Check so yeah, some of these up the latest edition or not. Yeah, it's it's three giant books instead of just one giant book. They added twenty five hundred more entries into the newest one, so they're they're they're, they're mad men never in read. Way. Yeah, <laughs> I do look stuff up there every once in a while, but the the chronological approach is kind of mind boggling. So, yes. so anyway, but yeah, so. What do you think of uh, some of the fiction? I guess let's just go through. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on these. They're they're pretty brief as they are, but like I said, I'm a little perplexed about where the what exactly the target audience is because the stories are much less sophisticated than what was on the TV show. They're much less yeah. sophisticated than the target novelizations. Yeah, um, they're they're pretty much just like kind of like dime store sci-fi. Yes. Like really, they're really generic. You could kind of plop any TV sci-fi characters into these. Like this could be, you know, Captain Kirk and Spock and Doctor McCoy in most of these stories, and it would be the same kind of generic sci-fi story. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we kick things off with the war on 
Akutiga, maybe? If we start just Akutiga? with the... I don't know who these people on the cover are supposed to be, apart from the Doctor. Uh, me neither. <laughs> I don't know where they got this. It looks like the same art as the illustrations for the first couple stories, so I'm guessing maybe it's leftover art from those, but then after reading it, I have no idea who they were supposed to be character-wise either. But then again, I have no idea what's going on half the time in these stories. Um, just to give you an idea, um, if you haven't read the book, uh, The War on Aquatica, um, Doctor, the Doctor, Sarah Jane Smith, and a unknown companion named Dr. Levi, who isn't really ever explained who he is, except that he's an old friend of the Doctor. We run into many old friends of the Doctor in this collection. That was actually one of the interesting things about this, which is, yeah. because I always find it interesting, I think, when you when they bring in characters that the doctor has known and, you know, we haven't really seen, but it's still like an old mm. friend or old, you know, somebody that's met the doctor at some point in the past. And, and yeah, yeah this, com- this uh, volume is full of them. Yes. Yeah. And then, so they, they end up or they crash land or I, I can't keep straight which one is which, because each one begins in one of those two things, either they misnavigate or crash land onto this, uh, planet and uh they meet the medusans who literally are a race of creatures with snakes for hair like medusa from the uh uh from greek mythology and they are approached by the there are three species on the planet they're approached by the other species the philotians that to um help them stop the medusans from attacking the matter dome <laughs> um, yeah. from anyway it it it's it's fairly generic but it's also fairly bizarre because we go from everything from yeah medusa and snake for hair aliens to the fact that one of the races uses in in their war uh in their war effort uses a race of explosive psychic dolphins that um and this is no no joke straight off the page <laughs> uh well, don't forget that the king of the Philosians is a chimpanzo and is yes. apparently an actual chimpanzee. Yes, yeah, the Philosians. Those are the Matterdom people. I don't remember what their name is, but yes, ch- chimpanzo. <laughs> they're the basically described as an ape-like species, and yeah, these he's just a talking chimpanzee, I think. So. Anyway, it kind of sets the stage for this is probably actually the most bizarre that they get out of all of them. And so it's an interesting one to start with. But they're all kind of odd uh, and don't seem to have any kind of connection to the actual TV show that they're based on. So that's so it's kind of tough to I don't know. It's it's if you're reading these from the standpoint of trying to enjoy what you enjoy about Doctor Who in 1976 and you're trying to get that like vibe from it. It's just it's not here. (laughs) Yeah, this isn't really about that. It's it's enjoyable enough as a curiosity, I suppose. Um, But, you know, actually, having reread this, what's interesting about this story is that it's the doctor really doesn't do anything in it because the solution to it is presented by one of the guest stars, sort of One of the yep. aliens already on the planet. So it's not even like one of the doctor's companions who presents. No, it's, it's nobody <laughs> that shows up. They're just like, hey, what about the the Mongs or whatever yes. they are? <laughs> like, we could use them the same way the other guys are using those those dolphin things. And they could go attack the, yeah, anyway, yeah, attack the Medusans. So, yeah, and everything works out. It 
kind of ends, you know, unclim- unclimactically. They build up this whole like war thing, and it's like, yep, good idea. <laughs> so, which brings us to the second story, Cyclone Terror. Are we skipping um, the uh, interim uh, maze yeah, of mystery? We, yet? <laughs> yeah, we did. We did briefly mention, and I, I meant to mention that I was going to kind of skip over the science, uh, the science bits and stuff. It had. Had we had Matthew tonight, I think I, I might have had a few questions about, like, uh, you know, what he thought yeah. of some of the coverage yeah. of the, you know, history of the space program and such that were here. I think one uh, of the interesting things was that this, to the way they talk about the history of the space program, since this is printed in 76 slash 77, is that Werner von Braun is like a contemporary at the time. So mm-hmm. the referendum yeah. is, is better known for his work on the American space projects. Yeah, it, it's interesting reading it. Um, something that was printed, you know, in a much closer proximity to like the moon landing and and you know the. It's, I don't know. It just just as a curiosity, it's it's interesting how, maybe how much we kind of take for granted about it now, even though we're not really doing much in the yeah, way of yeah. space exploration. But yeah, it's. Uh, um, but yeah, so the the book is sprinkled with little scientific bits uh there's a later in the book there's the the first one is reach for the sky is kind of a history of of space travel later we're going to get a history of aviation through you know early planes to uh, airships and blimps and such and um i do think i will probably will probably graze over that unless unless you have something specific now you want to say about them (laughs) i just figured they're not really related to doc they're only tangentially related to doctor who anyway like they're um we get a really interesting one at the end that's kind of um just uh greek like the the, it's about constellations i think but they kind of tell the stories of all the greek uh gods and goddesses and mythology that uh is so that one's a little a little interesting as well but um yeah, so Cyclone Terror, we have the Doctor and Sarah Jane show up in a, on a planet only to witness a man kind of being consumed by a cyclone, a tornado, <laughs> and right. uh, a uh, they come to find out that the tornadoes are created by a race of invaders that are invading the planet to deal this is kind of like the rest of the book this is kind of the plot of every story there's some kind of valuable like a mineral or something of value there's an invading species there's an you know an innocent or you know some sort of friendly species that the doctor and companions jump in to to save so in this case it's the there's unobtainium um, everywhere yes (laughs) there's the peaceful zotons and the zonans are the uh other species from the galaxy or whatever that are you know using their cyclone machine to destroy i don't even know i'm not sure they even get to the whole plot but anyway the doctor goes and rigs the cyclone machine to backfire on them which is a little bit cruel even for the fourth doctor um it's got a nice uh like at the end where he says that oh if any of them survive they'll head back to their planet (laughs) yeah well if we left any alive they'll be out of here (laughs) like yeah very (laughs) odd undoctorly that and i think that's the one thing that bugs me the most other than like the fact that the companions both sarah and harry are 
just in name only. Like there's no characters to them whatsoever. The likenesses aren't even close. Um, First two stories have only Sarah and then Harry yeah. pops up yeah. for a couple of the others. And, and this, I wonder, sometimes I wonder if like the writers are just sort of, I don't know, taking the mickey at times because we've got the planet Zoto, yeah. the galaxy Zoros, <laughs> and the bad guys the are Zotan. the Xanons. Xanons, yeah, so, that's right. And the like, Zotans are the other. So yeah. we, all yeah. our things will be named with the Z for this story. <laughs> yep. Maybe that. Maybe that's uh, they were get catching some Z's when they wrote this yeah. thing. Maybe so. <laughs> Yeah, it, this this one is generally entirely uninteresting. I don't know. It's just kind of and, and it's over before it starts. Like you get the explanation right. of what's going on and then it's done. It's just um, and, and that's kind of the case of all these. And I try to remember when I'm reading these, like what the target audience is for them. Um, right. But they just seem so disc like even the voice of the doctor here doesn't seem it certainly doesn't seem like the fourth doctor, but it often doesn't seem like the doctor at all. Right. So. Yeah, so. I mean, it's interesting. It seems like a lot of times the historical interludes where they're talking about stuff are actually written at a higher mm-hmm. reading level than the actual stories. So I, I think the interludes were much more, much better written, and oftentimes they were more entertaining than the, yeah. <laughs> than the uh, actual stories. So, however, I do want to point out, like, and I didn't, I talked about this a little bit before Larry logged off, but um, I do really enjoy the. It's often bizarre, but I really enjoy the artwork uh, yeah. throughout this. I mean, other than the fact that the you know companions are, aren't even close to being based right. on the actors that played it uh, played the parts in the show, but right. um, it's that very knows. kind of unique artwork, and I like it a lot. Like it's all kind of um, done in monochromatics, um, but but different colors for every like piece, and yeah. I don't know there's some there's some cool stuff like uh, yeah. Some likenesses of, describe of it. Yeah. yeah it's almost kind of psychedelic in a way like almost like it belongs to you know a few years earlier to the the 60s <laughs> in a way but um, funny how some like and the artwork doesn't even necessarily seem to be related to what the story is describing it's like, no not at all and we'll talk i i definitely want to talk about that when we get to the comic strips which yeah. is very weird because they they were made, like made a comic strip out of a bunch of pieces of art that aren't yes. really telling the story so oh, yeah. um i like this next story the time snatch time snatch yep they've got the they've drawn a guy who's got his hands raised in front of his face <laughs> protectively which is something that's happening in the story but this is like yeah. some young dude where it's supposed to be a grizzled old prospector yeah. grizzled old <laughs> prospector which grizzled old prospector and then you have like unit headquarters and he wanders just over the ridge into a unit headquarters or something yeah anyway from the desert Does it, yeah doesn't seem to How many maybe he won't there in the UK? much larger <laughs> Maybe he walked much longer than we thought. But yeah, so aliens possess this grizzled old prospector and sent to send him in search of the uh, Crystal Z, which is a um, what they cover it from space or something along those lines. I, I, I was I was thinking it fell in a meteor, but I don't think I'm right. I think it's uh, uh, anyway, uh, it's from ha- some interplanetary expedition. And oh, and yeah, I guess it's set in the US, not the UK. So, oh, OK, so they're at a unit outpost in in the u.s i guess yeah okay so work i guess it works they were the united nations intelligence they probably have a 
a base there. So desert makes more sense then. Okay. And and grizzled so. prospector, wrong century, but you know, okay. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so the the possessed aliens coming in search of crystal crystal Z, which um events send the doctor and Sarah Jane back in time momentarily <laughs> to right. to uh, for the scientist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Dr. Brule or Bool. <laughs> And uh, they have an, a run-in with a caveman, and a, a, some cavemen are hunting a mammoth. They come right, they get right in the middle of it, and they're snatched back away just in time. I don't know. <laughs> it's, well, this the, is uh, one of, I mean, at least like most of the other stories do seem to have a conclusion. This one doesn't really have one because, like, the alien possessed the Prodex prospector to retrieve the crystal, and then. Yep. They send them all into the past and they come back from the past and the aliens don't seem to want the crystal anymore because they've left the prospector. So, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not thinking too hard about it. Well, the the doctor <laughs> had the crystal on him. Maybe that's why. Maybe because he left the time period. I don't know. That's, I'm already thinking about it more than it's worth. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's this one at least has up to the entertainment factor from the last one a little bit it's it's at least a little more right. <laughs> yeah but yeah i don't know they just like the ideas of the things they're, they're coming up with are quite bizarre just like this random time warp crystal that unit is in possession of because right. of their interplanetary something like a, never have we seen unit you know explode you know to that point of technology where they have an interplanetary program or uh, except on the cover of the pinnacle books edition of uh, day of the daleks which has a big unit spacecraft <laughs> ah okay yep <laughs> well there you go it's canon on yes. the <laughs> maybe the the brigadier and uh, you know that that headquarters in britain is just actually very uninformed about all the other stuff going on over in you know the states or elsewhere so i don't know anyway yeah so basically we get a we get they come back and then we kind of get a couple of like chuckled lines about yo and the crystal's here too haha <laughs> at the end like yes. we still have it and they're gone that's that's our exciting climax yeah it's kind of like the monty python sketches which were just and you know this is a silly sketch let's end it now yeah everybody stands up and walks off <laughs> I feel like the ending of a couple of these stories are exactly that. Like, is well, this story's going nowhere. Let's just let's just end it. <laughs> uh, so then we get our first uh, after another um, space uh, education, a couple of educational pieces on space exploration. We get the Body Snatcher, which is our first comic strip, which is full of really intriguing artwork that. I feel like has not a whole lot to do with the actual story being told, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny that there's something that's sort of kind of at least some. It doesn't look anything like her, but at times you actually see Sarah from the front. But Harry is always just drawn from the back or leaning over or something, mm -hmm. so you never even see anything even close to his yeah. face. It seems there's like two pages where you get you get lines where he's talking like Sarah and Harry, Harry, and, and you just don't see Harry at all. <laughs> he's just not there. Um, and then, yeah, you get him from the back a couple of times. Um, so this story is about a, uh, what's his name? It's about Rascala. Rascala, yeah. the uh, king of Torm. The planet Torm is uh, 
just wanting to cause some intergalactic chaos and is going to possess the doctor's body and go to an uh, interplanetary peace conference and poison everybody with some kind of a virus that he's created. Um, you know, typical mustache twirling villain just bent on, and not that he has a mustache, he's like a big skull kind of creature, but um, anyway, he's successful in possessing the doctor, but he doesn't push the doctor's consciousness all the way out of his body and they have a you know, mental fight inside of the doctor's head and eventually the doctor wins and alerts everybody to what's going on. And yeah. Um, it's a familiar enough Doctor Who trope. So. Yeah. This one story wise feels a little bit more like a Doctor Who story. It it also plays on the idea of the doctor, you know, you're running into elements from the doctor's past because he's acting as he's been invited to this conference. He's acting as I don't know if he's a delegate, but he's a an expected dignitary at what at this major peace conference and uh so you get a little like slice of that life of the doctor that you haven't been aware of before uh, which is kind of interesting but and also the the obviously we've seen on tv many times that they play uh, they play with the possession we'll see another another story yet in this collection where they do this and then we'll eventually get the <laughs> the story that uh the hand of fear on tv right. which is kind of the same thing so um but yeah this uh artwork wise I, yeah. I think my favorite bit of the artwork is just amusing because there's that one scene where one of Rascla's flunkies is kind of leaning against the wall with his legs crossed and just super cash yes <laughs> <laughs> saying good luck master yeah <laughs> like so. yep you go go get him <laughs> yeah uh, it's the artwork is is cool in a way like i like the artwork i'm not sure it's great artwork for telling the story like oh. it's actually kind of confusing but um in a comic strip when you need to have like a giant paragraph of explanation in between some of the frames it's probably a sign that the artwork's not being descriptive enough but and i mean it's uh, just a, the whole way it's laid out is just so odd i mean mm -hmm. they had the leather off excellent comic book artists but they've just sort of gone with random painted it's, artwork it's, rather than <laughs> it's very sketchy like as in literally yeah. like it looks like a lot of kind of freeform sketches and then there's some like photorealistic tom baker faces like they yeah. just kind of traced the face yeah, from, from some publicity shots or something yeah and then just kind of filled in other things the the one time we get harry's face on like the third or fourth page here it, it doesn't look anything like harry <laughs> I'm not even sure who that is, so. but yeah. And then you get the like the picture of this the 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 way they depicted the peace conference. You see like one character who's like a two-headed right. person. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just doesn't really sell it. On an on an artwork aspect, like does it? It's interesting and it's actually all kind of cool. It just it's an, it's not good for the story. I don't know. It's it's very bizarre. <laughs> like, Worth checking out if you want to see it as a curiosity, but it's not a not at the end a very great story. And then uh, so we yeah after this one we get the fold out board game um, um the Terror Trail if you want to you know yeah if you have a copy of this and you want to fold it open <laughs> and give that a round of play so doesn't look like it's probably a really great game but it's. <laughs> You have to, on the board, you know, you have uh, 
have to deal with menaces like a giant snake, um, giant turtle, giant ants. Yes. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah. And Harry, of course, is a blonde in this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I it's assume. supposed to be Harry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm just assuming at this point, but... <laughs> Um, next we have a Harry Harry joins us now after this uh, comic strip and uh, we get the eye spiders of Pergross and uh, this was the first story that was just bizarre enough that I started to enjoy it like it's um, it's still not like my favorite like prose wise it's pretty pretty basic and it's but it is about uh the doctor and, and companions getting stranded on a planet um, that is inhabited by spider-like creatures that are actually like giant eyeballs yes. with what's described as kind of a, an eyeball, but also kind of a opaque body where there's like organs or organelles inside of it with eight legs coming off the sides. And it was kind of an interesting description. They don't. That's one thing they don't lot. actually illustrate. Yeah. <laughs> They show us a bunch of spiders and eyeballs just so you can, I don't, but uh, the description is much more interesting than that. And then the doctor finds out that this lead spider, the leader of the spider people, um, the eye spiders, is actually a transformed version of an acquaintance of his from years ago on Earth. Uh, He comes from the year 3000. He's a Greek explorer and right and philanthropist and uh but anyway he led an expedition to this planet and they were all mutated or transformed in some way into these eye spiders and he's been living his life as one of them for really a bizarre twist that i did not see coming but i started by this point of the book to kind of get the gist of what this what this was going to be like and i was able to start enjoying it a little more i think but this one i found to be kind of enjoyable um yeah, so his old friend was Xerxes Perlopolis, and uh, the doctor uses the TARDIS to travel back in time before the transformation happens um, and rescue his friend. What I don't understand about that scenario, if he jumps in the TARDIS, does some calculations, and goes back in time, why does he walk back out of the TARDIS? And the guy's like, thank you for saving me. Like, he like <laughs> he remembers, like, you know, because he's traveled back. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't work out logically for me at all but anyway so So, the eye spiders was kind of a cool cool image so anyway it's a longer story too it's about double the length of most of the other prose stories but so that might have helped it a little bit as it actually there was actually some story there it wasn't just you know so it's uh, one of those nice uh, everyone lives thing that's yeah. Almost a little Moffatty and getting timey wimey. Yeah, and he sends sends the sends him back to Earth basically with a little scolding like, "What are you doing doing these expeditions? You know, you you have children. Get back and take care of your kids." Yes. <laughs> so, um, next one is uh, detour to Diamedes, and again we got Sarah Jane and Harry as as companions that are basically just there to do what you know. To ask the questions that the doctor's, you know, not explaining. But um, this one's, I kind of reread through a lot of these today, and I still am having trouble remembering this is how unmemorable it is. 
Um, I, I read Jungle... this like an hour ago, and I, I'm having trouble. <laughs> Jungle Planet with strange creatures, uh, the Slodes, and Slodes are a tree species of some sort, and they have cities built up in the trees. There's these giant, like, kind of carnivorous fish things called carks. Um, that's one thing these a couple of these stories do, and Eye Spiders, the last one was definitely one of them, and this one as well. They have some interesting world building going on. Like, there's some... There's some imagination being put into the settings and, and everything, but they just never they yeah. d- don't actually do anything with the stories, unfortunately. But yeah. um, and this one, the most interest, and again, we run into another old, old companion fr- of the Doctor. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, there's a, a, I did have to raise my eyebrow a little at the one line where uh, I guess uh, Sarah screams and distracts the Karks, and then. <laughs> Harry says, I'll never complain about that scream of yours again. It's like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a prelude for there's a there's a story and we'll get to in a minute. Um that they the doctor and Harry just go on a tirade of sexist awfulness. So <laughs> it's uh but uh, yeah, anyway. Nineteen seventy seven, yay. No, um they say it was accessible in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, there's not much more to this, the, except that like the the companion that or the old the old friend that they see they meet up with here is a sole survivor of his expedition because they right. all died from either being eaten by the carks or they all got sick from some disease and right. the uh, slodes have taken this guy in and the doctor rescues him. It's basically the same story we've already heard three times told in a different location. So. Um, if this is a team of writers, they're they're not really uh, coming up with a lot of original stuff. Uh, if it's just one writer, then he's kind of stuck in a rut for, for this book. <laughs> just, um, so then we get our second comic strip. Sorry, what's no? That's just saying he's got deadlines to fulfill. He or she. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what I feel like. Most of the writing in this book is like like, well, let's finish this up. Like whatever this is. What's the premise of this Doctor Who show that I've never seen? Oh, that's what it is. Okay, I'll write something. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, the Menace on Metalupiter, if I'm pronouncing that right, um, is another comic strip with a little more appropriate artwork, but not much. <laughs> this actually has some stuff related to the story. It's not just like a collage but it's all in these weird, like monochromatic, like orange and purple colors. It yeah, makes it kind of hard to read. Choice. Yeah. Points. Um, the Doctor and and Sarah Jane and Harry land on a a planet of sentient robots with cat heads, I believe. So the the one that they at least the one they kidnap is a uh, a kind of like jaguar looking thing on a human body at first he will later be depicted as an actual <laughs> man or a man-shaped android so um it's a, it's a planet of androids and the, the it starts with a conversation about them being um like what great people these androids are and, and i don't remember with sarah or harry somebody said wait i thought you were there they said they were androids and so and there's a line or two the doctor says like well basically they start to question can an android be human and then that sounds really interesting, but they totally abandon that for the rest of the story. That's the only right. bit of yeah. that we get. So, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the one interesting concept they were digging into, they they kind of left behind. So um, 
but the uh the, this planet of of sentient androids has been taken over by an alien menace who once again wants to mine their minerals for a yes. military use <laughs> so um the <laughs> it has a, one of my all-time my favorite line that of anything in here is uh there's a piece of description in this um block description in this comic strip at, that says using his knowledge it's talking about the doctor using his knowledge of the intricate circuitry of cat-faced robots doctor who builds a radio transmitter to immobilize them so little did we know that the doctor had an intricate knowledge of cat-faced robots just so uh, yeah uh. anyway <laughs> so yeah it's again it's pretty big after the set, after you've read the previous stories and you get the setup of this one, it's pretty predictable how it's going right. to end up because it goes exactly that way. He ro- reprograms the one um, robot By that, Lupin. yeah, I forget, he had a name and I forget what it was, but um, and Puskeet, Pus- Pus- yeah, yep, Puskeet and Puskeet, um, kind of puts his himself on the line to kind of battle the the bad guys and. Uh, yeah, stops being depicted as a cat-headed thing and ends up being a person. I don't know. Anyway, or is that I... supposed to be the bad guys that are shooting at him? It's, it's very yeah, confusing. Maybe. I can't follow it because, yeah, all of a sudden there's this... Because the doctor's talking to Pusky. Like, he's, like, <laughs> saying things to him, and you see this other... Yeah, it maybe you're right. Maybe it is supposed to be the alien species, um, whatever they're called. I don't know. I... I wrote some notes down, but I was so concerned with writing down the cat-faced robot lines, I didn't write down any <laughs> details. So, <that's laughs> at least that is a memorable line. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yep. Yeah, again, it pretty much ends up where you think it's going to, and uh, Puskeet kind of does the ultimate sacrifice deal, but they're able to to save him in the end. So, that's right. Yeah, and then off, off to the next thing. So we get a uh, double trouble where. We have more illustrations of Sarah Jane Smith looking not even a little bit like Elizabeth Sladen. Um, Sarah is possessed by an alien entity who has actually come to Earth seeking a different alien entity who is on the run, an alien criminal of sorts. And um, it has the brigadier as well. Yep. uh, Features the brigadier and it kind of is a precursor kind of follows some of the same things that the eventual story, the hand of fear um, will follow hand of fear. Doesn't much better, but this is a, yeah. So she's, she's possessed and goes and tries to find, stop the uh, alien criminal from whatever he's up to on earth. So um, the, again, basically like the, the one alien chasing the other aliens stops the alien he was looking for. And the doctor kind of, uh, as, you know, well, doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, they, they kind of figure it out. They make some jokes about... Uh, um, yeah, this is the one that just has tons of... And I'm not going to dwell on it, really, but um, they're try- they both think something's off about Sarah, and both Harry and the Doctor make repeated comments about, well, you know, women are just mo- are, are very moody creatures and all this stuff, and, like... It's like, oh god. I mean, this is—I know it's 1977, but this is this is worse than usual. So, I think Harry says some. He says a few other lines too. I mean, Harry is an imbecile, we know, but yeah. I mean, that's—I'm uh, just not. 
no. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, it's another not very memorable story. Besides its similarities to Hand of Fear, which I found interesting. Um, yeah, it really doesn't. It, it again doesn't go anywhere. Like a UFO, a cigar-shaped UFO craft shows up at the end and kind of takes everybody away. But yeah, it, it take away the criminal and uh, yeah, all yeah. well that ends well. And nobody, none of our heroes or none of our uh, protagonists had anything to do with what happened besides uh, you know Sarah Jane incidentally being possessed. So right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just, uh, that seems to be the trend of this book. This uh, the doctor and companions just kind of show up to witness conflicts <laughs> between. Uh, so yeah, and we have we have one more, a big finale, uh, and that is the secret of the bald planet. Um, the doctor and his companions are, without no explanation to this either, uh, are investigating a space warp project in Japan. Whatever that means, because we don't get any context other than that one line, <laughs> but. Um, and are accidentally warped to a planet of giant telepathic earwigs of different colorful earwigs of different colors. Uh, the par the paras the paras. Uh, anyway, they're they're large <laughs> bug-like creatures that uh, as they age shift in color. So the older they get, the more red in color they get. The young ones are like yellow, and they grow. Um, they have a a scientist called Ramstra pulls the doctor aside and kind of gives him an info dump of their entire culture and that they've they've been uh, they have like kind of a religious uh, type ritual where at a certain age they have to go to the um, rectilators and they get beamed off somewhere out of out of existence as far as anyone knows when people go to the rectilators they're they're gone forever. Uh, the new king, um, uh, it starts with a G, Gresh, Gresha, something like that. Um, Gresk, I guess. Gresk, yeah, that's what it is. And, uh, has convinced the, the people of Para that they, the rectulators are not actually a good thing and that they're actually shipping them off to another society to be slaves and um so he's not going to go to the rectulators ramstra is asking pleading with the doctor to help restore his ability to fulfill his destiny of going to these things or whatever seems a little backwards from where the doctor's usually at in these kind of conflicts but um i i can't really comment too much about this because i cannot remember a single thing about it (laughs) so (laughs) <laughs> you're probably better off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it, it's the only thing that this has going for it is a little more complex of a narrative. Like it's actually got some stuff going on and a couple of characters other than some of them. But again, I, the doctor and, and company don't do a whole lot here. Uh, besides the doctor, the solution to this whole thing is they're like, oh, well, in the rectulator center, there is this ancient text that not, it's a dead language. None of us can read it. The doctor goes, oh, that's so-and-so language. I can read that and goes in and just like reads them and explains everything. And like, yeah, that's pretty much the end of the um, it's it is a transport to another world, but they're not being enslaved. It's a transport to another world where aging uh, aging parrots can uh I don't know, thrive and, and, and 
end their life in a peaceful way with the resources. It's, it's something to do with the environment and it's draining their body. It's why they change color. Again, there's some thought put into this one, but it's still not at the end of the day, a very great story. And the fact that the solution is literally just, Oh, Hey, I read, I read that language. So, <laughs> well, uh, maybe I'll have to come back right. and read this, reread. Uh, this one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't rush. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. If you if you remember the quality of the rest of the book, I think uh, you're pretty on board with them. You, you understand kind of where it's at. It's the only th- the only thing that distinguishes it is that it's a longer story with a little more complex of a narrative. But again, it's it's 100 percent just doctor and companion show up and kind of just watch these things occur. So. I guess anyway. if, if he's reading the things out, the doctor's a little more proactive than he was in some of the others. So, yeah. <laughs> and then at the end, very end of this book, we get a two page. Uh, the name's the same, which is a a bit that just kind of tells you about some of the names of stars and satellites that share their names with mytholo- mythological creatures from uh, Greek mythology. Maybe the most interesting piece of this entire book. <laughs> but <laughs> so, and anyway. It's, you know, it is what it is. I, I really tried in my my criticism of it not to be too hard on it because of what it is. I mean, I know the annuals are, right. in their essence, kids' books. Um, it, that is definitely the the target <laughs> audience, and I, I keep that in mind. However, I don't, you know, I wasn't a child in 1976. Um, I wasn't alive in 1976, but I can't imagine the prose in this really appealing and, and yet they and, and kept printing them. Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. And then they, then they were big sellers because, I mean, Tom Baker was popular. And um, it is a fun book in a way as a curiosity because it's got so many things that are just kind of bizarre. There's... You know, the uh, odd and interesting artwork. My favorite thing about it, and I come back to it time and time again, is is the artwork. I think the artwork is... To say it's good is maybe overselling it a little bit, but it's interesting. And it's it's it definitely if you could like if you could pick up, a you know, like Larry was talking about beat up three dollar copy of this and kind of, you know, cut and collage some of this stuff, you could make a cool piece of Doctor Who artwork out of it, I think. But um, and the comic books, comic book stories, some of them do just seem like they were cut out collages. Yeah, especially <laughs> that first one. I really feel yeah. like that was just like, hey, we're going to take like collage pieces and write a story around it which is a really weird approach to a comic strip but yeah that's what it is um yeah i don't know have any final thoughts about about the book it's uh yeah i got nothing (laughs) yeah as a collection it's a little underwhelming um as a collect as as a collection of stories a little underwhelming as a collector's item i think it's it's I don't mind having it in the collection. It's a cool book. It's got some cool stuff to look at. I'm not sure I'll ever revisit the stories, but but that's fine. I mean, that's honestly, I, if you're buying classic annuals, I'm not sure that's what you're buying them for. I think we're all, right. if you've ever read any of them, you're kind of aware what they're all about. So the prose is not, I didn't walk into this with my expectations very high uh, for good stories, but um the fact that i did kind of read this have to read this twice in a way like i I read it the first time cover to cover a couple weeks ago and then oh probably like three three weeks ago and then we went on like vacation and the like holidays and like a bunch of stuff happened and like i picked it up the other day to kind of get ready prep for the show and went 
wow, I don't really remember. All of these are running together in my head. Like, I can't remember one from the other. So I went through and kind of, I didn't reread everything, but I, I definitely, like, skimmed through and made some notes because I yeah. otherwise I would have been doing the like the whole time I'd have been like well that's the one where the doctor runs into an old friend oh wait that's like four stories <laughs> so, yeah, I could remember some of the stuff but uh, I think both times that I tried to go through it I just ran out of steam by the time I yeah, reached the last story <laughs> I it, was like, it, yeah. it's a tough one uh, <laughs> yeah Although well, if you had to, just like half an hour, 45 minute read, nothing more than yeah, that. It's, it's a quick read. That's the good yeah. part about it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess if you had to give this one a grade out of uh, what should we No, I, I feel like we have to give this out of five psychic dolphins or psychic <laughs> bomb dolphins or anything. <laughs> but, I have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Kind of going towards. It's just that again, I don't really know what the target audience for it is. For me, I can't really rate this more than a, maybe a 1.5 or something. Uh, but it work better for others. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I I kind of agree with you. I for me, it's a because I enjoy the artwork and I enjoy the collectability of. I've tried to like put together like kind of average like the poor quality of the stories with some of the things i enjoy about it like you know it's it's a classic collector's item it is uh it's got some cool artwork in it i enjoy just i enjoy the annuals for what they are so i don't want to say it's valueless to somebody because it's i mean certainly it's it's got some value but as a read, <laughs> I think I think two is the best I could do, even with the good artwork. That's the only thing that's getting it up to a two. So, um, otherwise, it's pretty forgettable. The, the the prose is bad. It doesn't feel especially connected to Doctor Who, the television program. It just, yeah, it is. It's kind of interesting that right in the beginning, where they have all the, the chapter list, you actually have like a photograph of Benton for some reason, which they yeah. <laughs> don't have a photo of like Sarah Jane or Harry, but no, no. do have they, a photo of Benton. <laughs> they don't use any likeness of them. They don't even have like it, they're not even close. So yeah, it's weird that Benton gets featured. You're right because Unit only is in one story, and never do they they don't have any like specifics. It's just like Unit soldiers, like and Doctor Brule or whatever his name was. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, well. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's a tough read. Don't buy this one for the stories. It's a nice piece to have on your shelf, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I guess that only leaves one thing left to do, and that's hit the big red button on the machine we call the randomizer and uh, see what it is we're going to be checking out next time. Next time, we are going to be looking at the Doctor Who, the handbook, The First Doctor. And that's by David J. Howe, Mark Stammers, and Stephen James Walker. Um, it is a nonfiction uh, analysis of the First Doctor's era. So the William Hartnell era of the show. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be... We've, we've pulled off doing some nonfiction books before. This one, I think, is... Um, a portion of the book is a guide, like a, a episode guide. So 
maybe that's uh I don't know. We'll talk about how we want to handle that. But anyway, right. I think we'll uh, check out that book. Looking forward to it. I do enjoy the the critical or the nonfiction works that, that especially David Howe, but um, some of the books that these three, especially the the sixties, seventies, and eighties books, the the large, um, those are really cool, yeah, good some reference of them are books. Certainly for, fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Cool. Well, I want to once again say thank you to Larry Van Mersbergen for joining us. He's uh, always the one to go to if you want to know anything about Doctor Who collectibles. And if you are a Doctor Who collector and you're not already listening to the Doctor Who Collectors podcast, don't walk, run and go go listen to that right away. Um, Yeah. And then uh, thanks, as always, Asad, for uh, slogging through this this volume with me. So it was uh, it was this one was a little tough, but <laughs> we'll have to let Matthew know he dodged a bullet here. So, well, I guess it's just one of those. You know, sometimes it's just difficult to figure out what to talk about a thing. You know, it's like, it's like yeah, you know, what what can you really say? You know, it's they're the not only aiming thing that... for something high literature. That's more like they're just aiming to, hey, it's 1976. We need to get one of these out. So, yep. get cracking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of these comes out every year. Make sure. <laughs> Yeah, which is, I don't know. Which is you, fine. I mean, there's a market. Yeah. People are gonna buy it. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like according to Larry, they sold these things sold like hotcakes around right. this time. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for doing it, and I uh, look forward to to next time we'll talk about some first Doctor era. So Woo-hoo. we haven't done a whole lot of that on the show yet. So. Oh, and I just uh, got my uh, elect season two. Collectors ah. Blu-ray edition. Mine doesn't come till March because I ordered the <laughs> U.S. one. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. Well. Sounds I good. guess that is uh, the end. But the moment has been prepared for, right? So. Pretty much. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us on the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. If you do have any feedback for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, look us up on our uh, Facebook page or on Twitter at Police Box Pod. Or you can uh, be old fashioned, send us a, an email at uh, policeboxpodcast at gmail.com. Um, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know if you have a review of any of the materials that we talk about on the show. And we'd uh, love to feature it on the show or just. Uh, have a conversation with you about it. So um, hope to hear from you. And that's all I have. I'm signing off. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. A proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Join Eric, Asad, and Matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of Doctor Who. Everything ends. As always, sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. Until next time. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end that the moment has been prepared for. The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who retro theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Some of there's danger. Some of there's injustice. Somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Juliet. 
And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Are you ready to travel through time with us? Then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out. And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. You're listening to Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast. Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With a popular feature like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, there's a lot of fun to be had. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip, and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Allison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast on the Direction Point Podcast Network. <laughs> 